Amen. Please take your seats. It's good to see you at the five o'clock teaching service. We are in the second of our mini-series on atheism, secularism, and other false faiths. And uh, we are just really looking at some of these subjects. Last week, we looked at the case against atheism. And I said last week, if you were an atheist here, I said, I, I don't think I'll be able to convince you today. I wasn't out to convince atheists today. I was out really to introduce Christians to the subject of atheism and to say, look, we do have answers. If you're prepared to study and find out the answers to the questions that are posed. And uh, we spent some time, I just want to recap a little bit on a couple of the things that we said last week so that I can show you, God willing, uh, some of the DVD clips that I wanted to show you last week because we saw what we began to see one of them that was excellent and so we're going to do that and then after that I'll take you into today's subject which is getting rid of religion is that a good idea and a, <laughs> yes I understand what you mean <laughs> getting rid of okay I should have getting rid of Christianity is that a good idea I should have written it better then. Excellent. You're on form today. So just a brief recap. If you're new here this uh, afternoon and you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to, when you get a chance, go on our internet, all of our services, of course, on Sunday are on the internet and stored on the internet for you to watch. I'd really encourage you to watch last Sunday evening's 5 o'clock uh, teaching on atheism if you're interested in what you hear today because that will unpackage it a little bit better. Of course I have just begun teaching on the Wednesday evenings our evening diploma course on apologetics and I can only touch on issues and raise issues on a Sunday like this but throughout those um, we got five more Thursdays together and a Saturday we are going to go very much into depth in how to defend our faith and not only how to defend our faith but how to go on the offensive and shine the light of truth in some other religions and other faiths like atheism and expose them for what they are falsehoods and untrue and so if you really want to get deep into these things I'd encourage you to sign up and come and join us on Wednesday evening you missed last Wednesday but don't worry uh, we'll get you the we taped it didn't we is he gone We've taped last Wednesday, didn't we? So we can give you the CDs so you won't miss anything on that. Well, last week we looked at the question about the case, is there a case against atheism? And we heard about people like Richard Dawkins and his famous book, The God Delusion. You know, Richard Dawkins is prophet, priest and king of the atheist religion. Immediately an atheist would say, we're not a religion, we don't believe in God. Oh, all right then, you're a godless relig religion. And so I call atheism a godless religion because it's based on faith without real and true facts to back it up. And you'll be amazed uh, that uh, how much atheists take on faith. And Richard Dawkins in his God Delusion said this, God is a delusion, a psychotic delinquent invented by mad, deluded people. So if you believe in God here today, according to Richard Dawkins, you're mad, you're deluded, and you believe in a psychotic figment of your imagination. But G.K. Chesterton, the great Christian defender of faith, 
early last century. He said this about atheists. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And we find that many atheists do. Richard Dawkins himself, he can't have an explanation for the absolute impossibility for everything to have evolved like it has. The chances of it are just impossible. And you can keep expanding the time, because this is what atheists do. They say, well, you know, everything could evolve in time. Let's make it a million years. Oh, oh, well, that's a bit... Billion, 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 billion. And so they believe in this fictitious timeline that just grows bigger and bigger and say, well, if you give it enough time, it probably would happen. When he was challenged on that, he understands that that's a difficulty. So Richard Dawkins invented the concept of multiverses. You've heard of universes? Un the universe? Richard Dawkins believes that there are multiverses. In other words, there are many hundreds, thousands, probably millions of other universes that we don't even know about. And if you have enough of them, chances are evolution's going to happen sooner or later. No evidence at all. It's more fictitious than a Harry Potter film. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I mentioned to you that although we looked at some of the, the arguments against atheism last uh, Sunday afternoon, don't assume that everybody is an atheist because they've read Richard Dawkins' book or they've studied it. Some people will say, well, I, I don't believe in God. There is no God. But their problem is not with philosophy or theology. The problem is maybe their niece died of cancer they didn't understand why and they said well there can't be a god if this has happened to me so although it's important to look at the case against atheism as we did last week you have to remember that when you're meeting an atheist there may be many reasons why they don't believe in god we need to be open to the holy spirit and also in conversation to find out what is it and that's why in apologetics, and we certainly will be in the course, we'll be looking at the problem of suffering. Because many people today are atheists because they don't understand where suffering comes from. How can there be a God when there is so much suffering? And uh, we looked at, at um, two main arguments last week used to prove that there is a God. We looked at the moral argument. And uh, we said a few things. We said things like, if you truly are an atheist, then there is no ultimate right or wrong. We said, if you are an atheist, without God, life has ultimately no meaning, no values, and no purpose. Now, if you go to an atheist and say that, they'll say, no, absolutely not. I have, my life has meaning. I, I, my family give me my meaning, or my work in charity gives me meaning. Yeah, but that's just you inventing whatever meaning you want. If there's no God up there, if there's no God, there is no right, there is no wrong. And even Richard Dawkins, the high priest of the new atheism, he says this, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but pointless indifference. We are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for living. He understands 
what atheist really means. You see, a lot of people are atheists, but they've never thought of the consequences. They've never followed it through. They're living uh, with morality. They're living with meaning and purpose. But they never stop to think, wait a second, if there is no God, no design, no ultimate meaning, no ultimate purpose, what does it matter what we do on earth? You have your good, I'll have my good. <laughs> I'll call murder good, you call it bad. In the end, it doesn't really matter because there is no good or bad. And we expanded that argument. I won't do any uh, more about that today. You can see that on our website. We also then had a look at the design argument. We spent some time, if you remember, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. An amazing passage that tells us that creation cries out to humanity, there is a God. And that in order to say that there is no God and no creator, you actually have to, according to Romans 1, 18, you have to suppress the truth. You have to suppress it, you have to push it down with falsehood and lies. So in the heart of man is eternity. We said that man is made in the image of God whether he believes it or not. And that's why man is a moral be being even though he's an atheist. When you look at creation, it cries out design, it cries out purpose, it cries out the creator. And you would have to suppress it not to see that. And secondly, we saw in Romans that when you do, do not believe in a creator, it has incredible moral implications as I was already mentioned. And straight after, Paul saying they have suppressed God. They have denied that he's creator. <laughs> like uh, Chesterton said, once you stop believing in God, you, it's not that you believe in, in nothing, you believe in anything. You create your own God. You create your own purpose when he was the purpose. You create your own meaning when he gives meaning. You create your own values of right and wrong when he is the value giver. You create, uh, man cannot live without a God. And if you dismiss the true and living God, you will create your own faith and your own type of God. And we looked at some of the design arguments. We looked at the argument of the watchmaker, didn't we? That if you wandered into a forest and you saw a, a watch and you picked it up and you looked at it, you wouldn't say to yourself, well, I wonder how that evolved over time by chance. All the little pieces in there must have eroded over time, got blown together by the wind and, and over a period of time, well, that's 10 years would be too long, um, 10 billion trillion years. Oh, that, that, that's the faith statement. 10 trillion billion years, everything came together and one day it began to tick. No, you look at a watch that you found in the middle of the forest and you'd say, design. Someone has designed this. Someone has just put this together. This speaks of intelligence and design, wouldn't you? Interestingly enough, somebody took that analogy that I spoke on last week and in conversation in the workplace with an atheist and, the, and they asked the atheist, so what, what do you believe happens to you? And he said, well, you come from nothing and you go to nothing. And she immediately began to minister to him and said, well, isn't that an awful thing? Have you thought of what that means? She, did, she ministered the moral argument to him. And then she said, well, what about if you went into a forest and found a watch and everything, and you picked that up, wouldn't you say that that was design? He said, well, yes. He said, well, 
If you've ever know anything about the cell in a human body, it is infinitely, and I mean infinitely, more um, complex and amazing than the greatest wristwatch wrist watch, or Rolex that you could possibly find. The synchronism, the, the, the perfection of how a cell works. And do you know what? He couldn't answer it. He couldn't answer it. This is what I'm trying to tell you, that, that there is a lie out there that needs to be challenged. And especially the man in the street, he just assumes these things. And we Christians, often we don't have any answer because we haven't bothered. Well, you're bothering today and those that are on Wednesday evening are bothering because you don't need much to challenge that which has never been challenged in their eyes. We looked at the idea of fine-tuning, about how incredible um, the, the world is. That if things were just a little bit different, if we were just a little bit nearer the sun or a little bit far away from the sun, it would be too cold or too hot for life. If the moon is perfectly arranged next to the earth, isn't it? Uh, did you, has anybody ever watched that film, Bruce Almighty? Uh, some of you are just saying, well, I'm not sure am I meant to say yes. Yeah. Bruce Almighty, where God gives a man called Bruce, not me, but gives him his abilities. And one day, and in one evening, he's having a lovely romantic meal with his wife. And he takes his power and he draws the moon closer. Do you remember that? And she goes, oh, what a beautiful moon tonight. And he uses God powers to bring the moon close to the earth. And in the morning on the news, there were tsunamis all over the place. Because the moon is in perfect synchronization with the earth so that the tide comes in. But thank God it goes out again. And there's so many other things we looked at last week and could look to show that those things are impossible without a creator, a designer, an intelligence behind it. We then looked at information as design. We said that information needs to have a language. You know, I, if I don't have a language, I can't communicate to you. And it needs to have a meaning, information. If I started saying cat, house, Pig, chocolate, it's a language but there's no meaning to it, isn't, isn't that right? People say, ah, if you put a monkey in front of a typewriter for, for thousands and thousands of years, it'll eventually, it will by chance type out Shakespeare's play. <laughs> Even if that was true, would it be information? No, why? Because would the monkey understand what it means? No. All right. So we looked at that. And then we also looked at complexity as design. That when you look at something and you reduce it, and it's so complex that if you reduced it anymore, it wouldn't work. It cannot be a product of evolution. We're going to see our first clip right now. And this clip is the DNA, which talks about information. That when you look at the DNA, which is the building blocks of life, you see that information and communication is there that all speaks about intelligence. So as soon as you're ready to show that, we'll, we'll watch that. Thank you. The simple war of the peoples that form ice crystals exhibit magnificent structure. 
Consider the design ingenuity behind large, complex molecules, such as DNA. DNA contains the blueprint for all life, and is by far the densest information storage mechanism known in the universe. For example, the amount of information contained in a pinhead volume of DNA would fill a stack of books 500 times higher than from here to the moon. The program code and design of such an incredible system indicates a supremely intelligent designer. The evidence to me that just cries out that there's a God is the study of DNA. DNA is a very powerful, massive information storage system. In fact, DNA that makes up our genes actually is like books of information that's read by a language system. It's absolutely phenomenal. And scientists know today that language as a code only come from an intelligence and information only comes from information. Nobody's ever seen matter by itself give rise to a code. Nobody's ever seen matter by itself give rise to information. And as you look at DNA, it actually cries out in the beginning, God created the universe. We all begin as a single cell the size of a period at the end of a sentence. How does that cell know how to build a, a body with 100 trillion uh, cells in it, thousands of different kinds, and each one of them is so complex, nanochemical machinery beyond our comprehension how it works, and encoded is the instruction manual. It's the manufacturer's manual how to build and operate every part of this incredible body made up of a hundred trillion cells. Furthermore, DNA is a three-dimensional molecule that is self-replicating. Each molecule is able to make an identical copy quickly and efficiently. The Lord has even programmed DNA to detect and correct replication errors. These sophisticated capabilities far exceed man's means. God has created the DNA molecule in such a way that it is self-correcting. There are special proteins called enzymes that go up and down the DNA molecule looking for and making repairs on a minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. God created us with a DNA code that actually has what we call editase or editorial type enzymes. Just as an editor reads a newspaper or a book looking for mistakes, so God has created special enzymes enzymes that go up and down our DNA molecule repairing the mistakes in ways that are unbelievably complex. There are many examples in creation of, of things that demonstrate the biblical God. Uh, one would be in our very DNA. Our DNA has information in it. And there is a whole field of scientific study called information science which studies how information originates, how it's transmitted, and so on. And one of the laws of information science says that information never originates by itself in matter, never spontaneously comes about. Any time we trace uh, the copying of information back to its source, it always, it always comes back to a mind. And since we have creative information in DNA, that tells me that DNA comes from intelligence. It's not something that could possibly come about through millions of years of mutations and natural selection. That just won't work. Yet even the DNA molecule is simple compared to cells. All life consists of cells, and each cell functions as a miniature city. When we consider that a human body consists of trillions of cells working together as one unit, we should be in humble awe of our Creator's intimate care and perfect wisdom.
Did you enjoy that? Amen. And that, that's, just, that's just the beginning of looking at creation and, and showing that there is a designer and a God behind it. Well, I'm not going to show the second clip because I would have to do too much explanation. So just to let you know up there in the gallery that um, that's the last clip I'll show so you can get ready the diagrams that I'll be showing in a few minutes. Because I'm going to move today now to the uh, getting rid of religion or getting rid of Christianity. Is it a good idea? This is a very important topic for us today because we are facing this in the news and the media all the time. We know right now that uh, there is a big court case going on in Europe on whether a Christian is allowed to wear a cross at work. Recently there was that controversy, wasn't there? There was a Christian prayer at the beginning of a local council, do you remember that in the news? And an atheist objected to it and they were told that they couldn't do it and then that was overturned. Uh, the big debate right now about marriage where people are saying, right, we are going to have marriage for homosexual couples, and the church is saying, wait a second, you can't take biblical marriage. This is, this is, this is ours, and you can't change that. You've got civil partnerships already. It's in the news, isn't it? We got, remember the van driver a year ago, around Easter, he put that little cross, that little palm cross, in his window, and he got sacked. Uh, the couple who opened their own home as a... Um, what you call, not a hotel, but a guest house. Their own home as a guest house. And when they refused, um, a homosexual couple, a double bed in that place, they were put out of, of business. Think about the difficulty of churches today in receiving planning permission for new places of worship. These things about the clash between uh, uh, religion, let's start with religion, religion and society are, are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, Barack Obama, when he was asked, you know, what role that Christianity should play in making policy, this is Barack Obama, this is what he said, and uh, you know, he claims to be a Christian. He said, which passage of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with Leviticus, which suggests slavery is okay, and that eating shellfish is an abomination? Or could we go to, with De Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? So the American president is there say, basically saying, there is no place at the table for public policy, for deciding politics and morals and laws, no place for Christianity. And what is even more concerning is his absolute lack of understanding of the ABCs of what the Old Testament and New Testament is actually about. I mean, he's quoting from the law there, and he has no understanding how to deal with that. But then most Christians wouldn't be able to answer him. If, if Obama said that to you, how would you give him a credible answer, or would you just say, well, yeah, I see what you mean. Christians need to educate themselves. Now, um, Christopher Reeve, who used to be Superman, who was at a university and they were discussing stem cell research, and he said this, when matters of public policy are debated, no religion should have a seat at the table. And so we see in society today, especially in politics, often this sort of like, keep your religion out of our schools. 
Keep your religion out of politics. Keep your religion out of the workplace. And isn't it interesting how they lump all religions together? That's why some people are saying uh, religion is a bad idea. The more we get rid of religion out of our society, the better it will be. Religion. I remember a week ago, a week or so ago, watching a program, and it was like a discussion panel. And they had the, uh, uh, the interviewer on one side of the table, and then they had a rabbi, an imam, and a priest sitting on the other side. And the interviewer was asking them, is there still a place for religion in British society? And immediately when I looked at this, this secular non-religious interviewer on one side and then these three religions on the other side and the question was is there a place for religion I thought to myself the whole debate has been framed because I tell you what I would not be sitting on that side next to an imam because all religions are not the same we'll be looking at this next week and and as far as I'm concerned my beliefs are as opposite to the beliefs of Islam as they are to atheism which I believe is a godless religion and so this is the lie that begins with your you religions on one side and we atheists and scientists on another don't fight for religion fight for Christ do you hear what I'm saying in the public realm I, I, and, and how many people, let me just show you another thing that they do. How many people here would like to see Christian prayer and Christian hymns back in all schools? Amen. How many people would like to see Christian teaching, Bible teaching back in the classroom? Amen. How many people here would like to see Muslim prayers in every single school? Lift your hand. How many people here would like all of the children in all of our schools to be taught the Quran? Well, why should you Christians have your prayers, your hymns, your teaching in all of our schools and all the Muslims not? What makes you so special? Can you see their argument? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh. But see, this is what we need to do. We need to express and show the superiority of Christ and the Christian faith to all worldviews. We're not just one of many religions. We are the way, the truth, and the life. Well, he is. We're not one of many. We're not part of religion. We disagree with other religions. We respect the people in them, but we do not respect their teachings as we do not respect atheism. So we need to be very careful the way they frame the debate. And so we don't so otherwise it just looks like one bunch of religious wackos and another bunch of religious wackos and there's no reason at all to um, to take any notice of any of them. Keep your faith private. Keep it out of our politics and our life. That's what we're getting all of the time. Now, who is saying this? Well, it is the current demonic principality operating in Europe at this time, which is called secular humanism. Of course, it is being challenged with the rise of Islam in Europe, but it is still, at the moment, the current demonic 
strategy of the enemy across Britain today. The religion, godless religion, of secular humanism. Now I just want to explain what that is because I can talk about secular and human. If we don't know what it is, then uh, how can we explain what's going on? Secular. The word secular simply means pertaining to the world of, of things not spiritual, not sacred. Alright? That's secular. Humanism is any system of thought that is focusing on the emphasis of human interests and in modern thought, not religion. Now, I went up onto the internet to have a look at the Council for Secular Humanism's website because I wanted to see what secular humanists say about themselves. And so this is directly from them. They know what they're talking about. And so I'm not making it up or putting any slant on it. The first thing they say, four points. The first thing they say about secular, it's non-religious, humanism, man-focused, is that secular humanism is a comprehensive, non-religious life stance. They say, look, we're, not, we're more than atheists. We believe that we have a comprehensive life stance. We have a lifestyle for everyone. We atheists, we, we want to explain what should happen in the medical world, what should happen in the moral world, what should happen in the educational world. Uh, we have, we have a, a, an answer for everything to do with life. We are not concerned with God or the supernatural. We don't believe in it. Secular humanism is comprehensive, touching every aspect of life, including issues of values, meaning, and identity. Quote. Last week I said you can't have any values, ultimately, meaning, or, or identity, ultimately, if there is no God. But here they are saying, no, every aspect of life. So when you think that people are saying, you know, keep your religion private... Uh, and, and as long as it's not in the pub public realm, it's okay. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Um, Dawkins himself says this, that he wrote it in his book. Any Christian that brings up his child in, with Christian teaching, according to Dawkins, is a child abuser. See, they don't just want you to keep your faith where it is. They want to drive your faith. They want to take our children from us. And they believe that they would be doing us a great help if we did that. That's why there's so much battle over education today. According to Dawkins, if a Christian brings up their child in Christian teaching, it's a form of child abuse. So this isn't just sort of like, you have your faith and we'll be atheists. This is aggressive, all-encompassing. And that's why we see so much of this manifesting in the media. Secondly, it is a naturalistic philosophy. I'll be coming back to this. What does it mean, naturalistic? It means that nature is all that there is. That which you can touch and feel and experience in the natural realm, that is existence. There is no spiritual realm there is no, but nothing outside nature, no God outside nature. Nature is all that it is. It assumes that there can be no supernatural activity, because all there is is nature. It assumes that God does not exist, and warns us that to have any knowledge that doesn't come 
from the natural world is very dangerous. So the moment you start talking about your God, we secular humanists get very concerned because there is no God. So when you start asserting moral values about homosexual marriage, you're just making it up as you go along because there's no God. You hear? They say also that, 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 um, uh, that they are scientists. If I could have the first um, slide up. Science. They, they believe in science. My, uh, my own son... My own son was witnessing to a friend of his, and, uh, and that friend, when Jake said, basically, I'm a Christian and everything, that friend turned around and said, oh, I don't believe in religion, I believe in science. A 13-year-old, I don't believe in religion, I believe in science. In other words, in that young person's mind, it was a choice. You can't have Christianity and science because Christianity is so unscientific in their minds. It's not logical. It, it, it does not reasonable. It can't be tested by science. So it, it's dismissed to one side. It's an either or. I believe in science, not religion. And Jake had done his ap apologetics work. Because I believe that in order to retain our Christian children and teachers, we must teach them apologetics. You know, just to say, well, because the Bible says, son. Well, because you brought up a Christian son. And then he ends up in a secondary school or a college, and people start asking him questions. Like, how come the Protestant Bible uh, has a New Testament, Old Testament, and the Catholic Bible has an apocrypha, a whole bunch of new books in the middle that they say is the Bible? You Christians can't even decide on what books in your Bible. You didn't even, and it wasn't until the fourth century that you even had a council to decide. Bang! What would you say to those questions? Would you just be silent and they go away, winner? Well, Jake, was, Jake, has, Jake has been taught. Um, the basics of these things so he didn't go away silent he answered the questions he had questions to these answers he had he showed that the Bible is compatible with science of course it is God created both we can trace back science creation and we can see it harmonizes with what we have in the word and he answered the person's questions to a degree where the person gave their life to Jesus what if he had just said amen what if he just said well, I don't know about that, but I love the Lord. There's nothing wrong with loving the Lord, but... Now, this isn't intellectualism. This is simply answering and having an answer for those that, that ask us. Now, this is the way that secularism works. It has a method of divide and conquer. And you see here behind me, if we could have that up on, this, on, on the TV as well... They separate the spheres. And you see this again and again with secularism. A separation. I mentioned this last week. We have the, the top section and the bottom section. And the top section here is the private sphere. Personal preferences. And then the bottom section, here we have the public sphere. And it's like this. Well, you know, it's very nice what you, you Christians believe about morals and what's right and what's wrong. But you know, these are just your private views. It's just, it's just you've, you've, you've got a book you call the Bible that's just a myth anyway. 
And you have these private opinions about morals and about life and about... And you keep them private, okay? Because there's plenty of other religions who have private views like yourself, like the Quran and Hinduism and stuff. But none of these things are real because we don't believe in anything outside nature. And in the public sphere, we don't want made-up religion. What we want is facts and science. That's what we want. That's what we're going to find out. Because we believe that there is no God. Uh, and all we need to know is found in science. Personal preferences. That's why you can't bring a cross into work. That's why you're not meant to speak into school about having Christian prayer. Because that's not relevant. That's just personal. Now... You see this at every element of society. Even Christian politicians find it very difficult to bring their faith into the public sphere. I mean, this, the moment a politician in Britain, and you hear it, mentions that they're a Christian or they have a faith, it's like, you better not bring that into politics. And many of them step back. I mean, Tony Blair has always stated that he's a Christian, hasn't he? How much Christian policy did he bring in during his time there? Or how many Christian policy did he, did he fight for? How, how much? None. In fact, if he had got his way and hadn't gone home early, he was the one vote that would have meant that preaching the gospel would be effectively outlawed because if somebody feels that it was offensive, you'd be taken to court. And he was pushing that. And he went home early because they thought they had it in the bag. But God had it in the bag that night because he's sovereign. And so what he, what he does, and I wonder if David Cameron's the same. He says that he's a Christian, but I don't think these politicians understand that Christianity is a world view. I don't know because they seem to check in their faith at the cabinet door. Check it in. Go in there. And then they work as if they're secularists. There may as well be no God the way that they do the arguments because they don't think that a religious argument can stand because it's my personal faith. So David Cameron's faith so far is very personal. It's not public at all. Not in practice. So can you see that even politicians are believing this secularism, this divide? Okay, next slide please. We also see in the next slide again same thing, a separation. We've had um, the private sphere. You Christians, your views are private, they're religious. We're not interested in them in politics. You know, you stand up and say, well, the Bible says, they say, sit down, sit down. Not, not interested, we'll do science. And then we see values as well. Individuals, choice, private and sacred. Again, because they view all religions as being myths, believing in mythological gods, that don't exist, what you believe because the Bible tells you to, as far as they're concerned, that's not fact. Atheists believe that the Bible is fiction. They don't believe it's fact. That's why when you see in some of these morning talk shows, you remember like Kilroy and things, they'll be discussing something about morality or some issue of medical or, some, or abortion or something like that and they'll be having the debate and the discussion and the evidence and then someone will stand up and go I'm a Christian and the Bible says sit down oh it's one of those born again Christians with their Bibles we're not look just keep your faith to yourself please we're having a serious debate with the evidence and science to discuss such issues
So this is why we see a battle in society of keeping our faith to ourselves. Keep your preaching to your churches. But you know, they're not going to stop there. You think you're safe in the churches, they are already monitoring what we say. And then they will be saying, you can't preach that, you can't say that. Why? Because we as secular atheists who do not believe in the supernatural or God are, are so convinced we dismiss your faith, we dismiss your, your, your values. Do you know, this is why in schools they're not interested in Christianity. Because it should be based, they say, on facts. And many people, many Christians, accept this division that we're seeing. They accept it. I mean, so even some bishops, we've got some great Anglican bishops. And we've got some awful Anglican bishops. And some of these Angli Anglican bishops were trained. I, went to the, I, I was trained at a university that raised many of these Anglican bishops. And many of them, not all, thank God it's changing. God is on the move in the Church of England. But we've still got the old guard from the past. And hopefully they'll pass away soon. But that old, that old guard were brought up with this divide. That's why they rarely, they rarely speak out, these people. Because... Uh, they're, they're just there to harmonize with society. We'll just help, we'll do some good works for you. We'll, we'll help you with some housing estate and things. We won't preach the gospel though, because that would be impinging on your secular atheism. Uh, and, they, and they never confront because they are a part of it. Christians also can find themselves in this situation. I think of my own father, and thank God he's saved. And I remember when I was trying to explain to him as a young student that there was an alternative to evolution. And here is a science, science professor of geography. And I said, Dad, I've got some DVDs I'd like you to watch. Um, it's scientific, the scientific argument for creation. He said, what are you talking about? There is no scientific argument for creation. I said, no, Dad, you've just not heard it. And he, didn't he wouldn't listen to it. And I thought to him, and even my sister, who's not even yet saved, even she thought that was out of order. She's a Cambridge grad. She said, well, Dad, you have to hear the evidence, surely, even if it is a bunch of rubbish. And she was, I remember being surprised at that. Well, eventually, I found out that there was a creation day at Leeds University where some of his own colleagues who, were, who believed in creation from the medical world of St. James, a professor from there and a physicist, were giving lectures. And I managed to persuade him to come for the day. And he sat down and I watched him throughout that day. He was like a schoolboy on his first day at class. <laughs> this senior lecturer. And he sat there. He'd never heard this evidence before. He had assumed that there was no evidence for creation. Christian. He had assumed it. Like the atheists today, by and large, assume. They've never heard it to our discredit. And by the end of the day, he wasn't saved, but on the way back, I said to him, well, what did you think, Dad? And as we were driving back, he said, well, there's some interesting thoughts there. But something had shifted inside him. Two years later, he went on an Alpha course and gave his heart to Jesus. This is the power of answers. And like I said, you may not have the answers, but you can find the right book that does. There's people I can't argue with a professor about evolution, so I give them a book by a professor who can. You don't have to be a genius or an academic to do apologetics. You've just got to be able to speak to the people that you work with and your neighbours and just tell them about a watch or just something, just to challenge. And you'll find that many of them have never even thought of it. They have taken this secular atheism, they have just assumed that that's the case.
But I tell you another thing, as much as I love my dad, he is a scientist, but much as I love him, if I said to him, Dad, show me why the Bible is authoritative, why we can trust it as the word of God and not the Koran. Show me, why is the Bible different? Do you know what? I know he couldn't do it. What a strange thing. A scientist that demands evidence, who is a Christian, and yet if I ask him to show me the evidence, the clear evidence that shows that the Bible is the word of God, he wouldn't be able to give it to me. Why? Because even in his life, he's separated. Facts are for university. Facts are for society. But his faith is a private faith. He believes the word of God because it's his private faith doesn't even think about looking behind. Do you hear what I'm saying um, today? Next slide, please. So here is, is really the big story. An upper story and a lower story, as I said last week. And this big fa false divide that our society has put in and that everybody is living under today and that most people don't even know that it's there and most Christians don't know but you're living under this every day what you're hearing in the news about uh, marriage and it's all to do with this the upper story God where there is meaning value purpose to the secularist who doesn't believe in God doesn't believe in any religion. To the secularist, this top upper story is totally empty. Think about that. To the secularist, to the atheist, there is no meaning ultimately. There is no God. There is no values that are um, eternal. There, are no, there is no purpose from God. It's just whatever you think. It's relative, subjective. That means it's, it's whatever certain religion makes up as it goes along. All that, they say, is meaningless. But they only live in the lower story. And they say there, the physical world, what we can see by science. We are not created, we have evolved. We are just creatures to propagate our DNA. No wonder abortion uh, is rife when all that baby is, is just another DNA machine. A biological DNA machine. That's where they... You see, atheism has a whole bunch of values that are based on its faith propositions. The moment you make mankind into a biological machine, well, Hitler knew what to do with that. Stalin knew what to do with that. And we looked at when people take atheism seriously, there's no good, no evil, no consequences, because when you die, there is no God. So in the end, you can change your meaning and value and purpose to whatever you want, whenever you want. Thank God that people are still made in the image of God and it's very difficult them to, to shake off that image that knows this is a good and knows they're an evil. Because if they lived according to this, it, well, some of them have. And so the upper story is not there for them. But we believe in God. We believe in an upper story. And so what we have is this clash. People that say that what's meaningful for us, God, is absolutely meaningless for them. And how does this affect the Christian? Well, I've already said, we, Christians can become schizophrenic actually today. Many Christians accept this. When they go to work or when they're involved in their field of study, they check out their Christianity at the door. They have a private faith. 
They come to church, they might have cell groups, they might share their faith, although they haven't got any answers, if anybody asks them any questions, to back up why they should believe a Christian rather than a Muslim or anybody else. They haven't bothered to study because they're not out there engaging and breaking and challenging secular atheism. I've had a number of people as we've been preaching doing these sessions come up and say help me Bruce I've got people asking me these questions I don't know what to answer I said thank God I said you're engaging with this culture but I didn't know what to answer I was silent and that's the problem the church is silent because it's ignorant I'm not talking about academic I'm talking about ignorance well I don't know I guess I'll just speak in tongues well why not speak in tongues and have an answer you see what we're engaged in today what we are engaged in today, if I can find it, excuse me a second, my scripture. Listen to this, apologetics, defending our faith, is spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have power to destroy strongholds. Right, well what are those strongholds? I'll continue. We destroy arguments. Say after me. We destroy arguments. arguments. Say it after me, but stronger and with faith. We destroy... I say it, you repeat it. We destroy... I say it, you repeat it. We destroy arguments. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion. And every lofty opinion. Raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive. To obey, to obey God. Can you see that? We, the weapons of our warfare are to destroy strong. We destroy arguments. When that young person went to my son and said with the argument, Oh, I don't believe in religion. I believe in science. He took authority in the spiritual world, world and took the argument like a hammer and smashed that argument, took it captive and brought that person to the Lord. Amen. That's spiritual warfare for you. But let me um, come to a, 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 a close. I really can only touch on the issues. We're going to do so much more of this on Wednesday evening because I've said that secularism is a religion, but we don't believe in God. Yeah, that's because you're a godless religion you're a religion without God you are a godless religion you are one religion amongst every other religion you're not on one side of the table with your facts because I have facts too you, you, you have tried to separate but I'm telling you there is no separation between the upper story and the lower story just put that up for me one more time the upper story and the lower there is no separation there's no separation. God has given us creation so that we can use our science to appreciate and learn and see his signature. Got this lower story and upper story. We need to smash this division because it's one universe, one God, one truth. The God who gave us the word of God gave us creation. It's all one world view. We don't have to check out our faith anywhere. We don't have to check it out in the science lab. God is the God of science. We love science. It's a window into who he is. The secularists, they have their own faith. They're, 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 they're as biased as anybody else. 
Is it we are unbiased, but you religions, you have your different bias? No, they don't. They buy, they, and have you ever seen in politics, when something happens, you get the opposition and the government, and how can the same thing be so different with two people? Because they interpret and manipulate the uh, results to put a spin on it. So, you know, you get something like, the government says, isn't it wonderful, I don't know if it is, but the go a, a government might say, isn't it wonderful, the economy is growing. And the opposition say, no, it's decreasing. What's happening? Well, whatever the truth is, somebody's biased, someone's got an agenda somewhere. And I'm telling you what, this gay marriage, there's an agenda behind it. There's already civil partnership. It's the same. Why marriage? Because they're taking the fight into the church's ground. Not only do they want freedom outside the church, and, and, and just, just for the record, I believe in gay rights, but I don't believe in gay rule. And there's a big difference between that. Someone said to me today, I said to them, so if you were in government, would you make homosexuality illegal? He said, yes. I said, you need to come on my apologetics course because that's way out of line. You can't legislate the gospel. You can't legislate the gospel. It's, it, and so we're looking at these issues, because God help us if that's the way that we respond to these things. Now, what is our worldview? I can only touch on this. But what is our worldview? Well, number one, it's eternal. The Christian's worldview, the way we're meant to approach life, is eternal. Now, the secularist, atheist, all they get is now. All they're interested in is now, and what happens now, and how it happens now. Because there's nothing before and there's nothing afterwards. And so often the Christian gets sucked into that. And although the Christian says he believes in eternity, eternal rewards, that God has put us on here to, to go into all the world and make disciples, often the Christian just falls into the secular mentality of, well, I just want to get as much out of this life as possible. So we have to look at eternal. Our decisions should be made eternally. Wow, that would raise a whole bunch of new disciples and encourage a whole bunch of present disciples if we just started to respond, make decisions with eternity, eternal values, heaven and hell, the gospel, humans in the image of God needing salvation. If we began to think and operate like that instead of, well, you know, we're just one religion amongst others and I don't want to embarrass anybody. We I mean, to smash down those barriers. Also, our worldview, I can give you three words that will sum up our worldview. Creation, we've been looking at that, fall, and redemption. And I, and I will unpackage these things in other things. Creation. And you'll see that every world religion or philosophy can be understood by finding out what its narrative or story or belief is about creation the fall or the problem that we need to solve as human beings and redemption, the solution. So your secular atheist, does they do they have a theory of creation? Well, not creation, but they have a theory of beginnings. They say by faith there is no God because they can't go back and before. They have, by faith they say there is no God. By faith they say a certain amount of time took place and evolution took, took place. By faith because the evidence is not credible. And by faith they say redemption. What is redemption? Well, redemption is simply um, deciding and putting our interpretation on different science things and suppressing the science we're not happy with. <laughs> okay. I was brought up in a scientific family. 
I mean, I had these genius scientists around my house all the time. And some of them were great, but many of them, because they were so brilliant, I mean, they were so brilliant in their field. But I tell you what, when you get to do PhDs, I'm not against PhDs just because I haven't got one, but when you get to do PhDs, your, nar your field, your narrow field of education gets so narrow that even people in your own field can't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and my, my father's told me about scientists who will put out a view and they'll publish it. And because they're human beings, it's lovely when you publish a book. I've got one coming next month. And they publish it, and they want it to last a long time. So when they publish a view of science, they will often defend it personally, in the face of other facts. You say, scientists, yeah, they're humans just like us. I've seen it. And so there's as much bias and personal agenda in science as there is anywhere else. You say, I don't believe it. I know it to be true because human beings are human beings. What we have to do is try and, as even as Christians, keep that openness. Amen? And so, creation, the evolutions make it up. Fall, and then redemption, they say, well, you know, this is what we're doing. We're redeeming Britain. Secularism is the answer. One of the best things we can do is drive out religion. I agree. And it's time to expose false religion. I only believe in one faith. Christianity. And I'm ready to learn and defend it. We're not on one side with the other religions and the secular atheists. We're around one big table and it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to educate itself, equip itself with signs and wonder and demonstrate there is a God by signs and wonders. Stay for this evening. Prophecies and power and word of knowledge. That will, sh you can change an atheist in a moment with a word of knowledge and shortcut all of this. But at the same time, we are a reasonable people. We are a biblical people. We are a thoughtful people. We're not just going to say, well, because the Bible says, when someone says, well, what's the Bible? We're going to say, let me sit down and tell you a little bit about why the Bible is the word of God in a language that you can understand. Amen. God bless you today. Amen. That was fantastic.